Hello, everybody, and welcome to What the Health, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. I'm Lena Lahire, certified personal trainer, nutrition coach, best-selling author, and psychology student at the University of Calgary. I'll be discussing topics that range from nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and everything in between so you can feel confident in how to move towards better health physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's get into our topic for the day. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's show. Joining me, I have Sumner Brooks. Sumner is a registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, body trust provider, and certified eating disorder specialist who has been working as an outpatient counselor with clients on all levels of the disordered eating spectrum for over 12 years. In partnership with her clients, Sumner helps people to identify how you can heal your relationship with food and your body. As a nutrition therapist who has worked under the supervision of Elise Resch, co-author of the original book, Intuitive Eating, and a mom of two kids, Sumner is excited to announce that she and Amy Severson are currently writing the forthcoming book, How to Raise an Intuitive Eater, which you can look forward to reading in January 2020. That's super exciting. Sumner is the founder and director of EDRD Pro, the fastest growing international online training platform for eating disorder dietitians and any dietitians or students who are seeking credible continuing education and training from leading experts on eating disorders, weight inclusive care and intuitive eating. You can find more info on that at edrdpro.com. And with all that being said, welcome to the show, Sumner. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me to be here. Yeah. So why don't you start by telling, uh, explaining to our listeners a little bit how you got into this whole space, because your, your kind of hook on Instagram that really got me interested was you're not your regular kind of dietitian. So yeah, not your average dietitian. Not your average dietitian. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your more about your background, how you got into the space, why you're not an average dietitian. Sure. So I mean, I think back to you know the way way back the beginning, um, which I guess would place myself in undergrad when I was studying nutrition and didn't exactly know where that was going to take me. I I found out that you had to complete an internship to become an RD um, in my senior year of undergrad. I was like, oh, well, you know, there was just, I just didn't really know what that path was going to look like. Um, but I, I definitely had a true, you know, interest in nutrition and wellness. I had sort of dappled in the idea of going to medical school. Um, and I also always had a bit of an entrepreneurial brain. So even, um, before I had my bachelor's, I was kind of like, well, not kind of, I was a new counseling people. So I lived in LA at the time and I would post up my business cards and advertise, you know, nutrition counseling. And I I had no idea what I was doing. It's not something that I would recommend anybody go do. But I definitely had, um, I guess, goals, you know, of that I was going to help people. I was going to learn about nutrition, help people be healthier. And I, along with that, the entire time was struggling with my own disordered eating. Um, And in college was really, really in the thick of it then, I would say. Um, That's when things felt um, probably the most intense as far as eating disorder behaviors, um, a lot of restricting, over-exercising, binging, um, and a huge sort of cloud of shame around all of that. So the experiences that I had, I really feel primed me to find intuitive eating and to eventually heal and get into a place where I felt extremely passionate and dedicated to helping people heal the way that I had, um, and find some freedom from disordered eating. So that was when you were in, um, when you see university, while you were going to dietetic school. Yes. Mm -hmm. I went to San Diego state university and, um, 
yeah, great nutrition program there, but I don't think ever once did I hear anything much about eating disorders or health at every size or intuitive eating until a couple of years after my internship. So what was the main narrative in dietetic school? Well, that's an interesting question. And I feel really important when I'm talking about my past and my experiences publicly to just be really honest with people. Um, And I think that what I was going through at that time and being so kind of deeply enmeshed in my eating disorder, I don't think I was actually very present with a lot of my schooling. Um, So I think that's just something that I like to state that that was so much of my reality. That was taking up so much of my world Um, that school was sort of like secondary, I guess. Um, When I think about the themes and kind of what was maybe coming across most from the curriculum, um, you know, it was a lot of kind of typical food science, um, food service. I think a lot of what still makes up dietetics today. Yeah. you know, it's been well over 10, 12 years now. So I'm I'm hopeful that some things are shifting. Um, But in my program, there was not a lot of emphasis on like the counseling environment or, um, you know, one-on-one support and working with individuals. Right, right. So what, what is intuitive eating? Yeah, I think, um, well, we can look at it in a few different ways. Uh, One way to look at it is as the way you will find it um, written out often or even in the book, Intuitive Eating, which I encourage everybody to get a copy if you really want to start kind of from the ground up is to really start with the book and read the actual book and not learn on social media or from what you might be reading in articles. But read the book because I have been trained and mentored under both Elise Resch and Evelyn Triboli. Um, and this is a philosophy that has now been, you know, readily studied. There's over 120 studies now on intuitive eating. Um, so the one, one way you can look at it is in the actual 10 principles. Um, I don't see that as a like linear model, as in you go through the principles from one to 10, but more of kind of a complementary model where there are all these principles are interacting together and creating like really a new belief system um, around food and body. Um, and another way to kind of describe intuitive eating is the way that we are naturally just born as humans and the way that we eat. Um, so if you were to think about removing all of the judgment from your eating, uh, removing the overthinking, the calorie counting, the contemplating how what you eat is gonna change your body in what way, Um, remove the thoughts about how eating impacts um, your health in black and white ways. So if you take all that stuff away and you were to think about eating in a way that is satisfying, that is nourishing, that is not the same every day, that is flexible. Um, I would describe that as intuitive eating. You know, and you know, that actually sounds quite hard to do, doesn't it? Like Mm -hmm. when you put it that way, um, stripping all of that back because, you know, we're born into the world and it's a blank slate, but then all of these things happen, all of these messages, um, things that we see our family doing, like how, how do we completely strip that all away? Yeah. And even as I'm hearing that reflected back to me, you know, I certainly don't want to set anyone up to think that this is rainbows and unicorns, right? I mean, we all live in this world that um, objectifies bodies, um, that is constantly promoting um, discrimination and perpetuating weight stigma, um, 
we are just conditioned to become fat phobic. I mean, there are very real and deep reasons why our society is the way it is. And um, that's going to take a long time and a lot of systemic change to really create a different culture that we live in. So if somebody has a goal of becoming an intuitive eater, I would encourage them to start with just a lot of curiosity and a lot of compassion for how hard that can be mm -hmm. uh, when we are faced with you know, thousands of images of the thin ideal the moment we leave our house or without even having to leave our house, right? We just turn on the TV or look through the mail um, or even reading a book, right? So diet culture, diet mentality, fat phobia is everywhere around us. And at the same time, we're all having an internal experience. We all have our own individual relationship with our bodies. We all have our own unique lived experiences of what's happened to us with food. Um, we have different reasons for why we may or may not feel safe with foods or safe with having foods in the house. So we've got this big sort of macro environment that's perpetuating dieting. And then we have our internal, very private relationship with food. And to move towards intuitive eating, um, I think it takes a lot of awareness of how your environment is impacting you and has impacted you. And then also a lot of compassion and patience with kind of pulling apart and unpacking that internal relationship with yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if someone were to want to start the intuitive eating process, that, that would be the first thing that you would say is to become more curious about it. But if someone at, said, said, okay, yeah, no, I, I'm totally on board. How do I start? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and even as we're talking, you know, we'll notice how our brain wants to make things linear and make things cut and dry and clear and just tell me how to do it. And I mean, I see that all the time in working with clients and that's just so natural. That's the way the human brain works is we want to understand something, learn how to do it and then execute it. So of course we want to know that. Um, and then, so thinking about starting with curiosity, so the things that somebody might want to start being curious about would be um, what, what is my cycle of, of eating? What is my relationship to food look like? So what I mean by cycle is what are our patterns? What are we kind of cycling around with, whether it's a weekly pattern of restricting and dieting during the week and binging on the weekends, or is it a daily cycle of skipping breakfast and then by the end of the day feeling like you can't stop eating and starting it all over again the next day? So having people being aware of what their patterns are and just trying to observe that before moving into thinking about what they can even do differently. If we don't know what we're doing, we don't really have any information for what we could start to change that might be helpful. Does that make sense? Does that feel like a, a starting point that someone might be able to dig into? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I did a whole um, podcast on why we, why we do what we do, um, how we try to understand the world. We do that through heuristics and all of these different mental shortcuts to attribute causality. And, you know, that question, well, where do I start, is our, just another example of how we try and, and place everything and organize things so we can understand it more. But intuitive eating, like it is, there is a starting process, but there almost isn't. It's the starting process is almost to like strip those things away. Yeah. That, that were there first. Is that? Yeah. So it's like, if we're, if we're there, if we're noticing and observing, um, something that I often do with people is, just a little bit of practice, like right in the moment, which is something somebody could do at any time, any place. People could even, you know, pause the podcast right now and do this. But I might say to someone, um, so let's just take a minute and just kind of slow things down. Um, you might want to close your eyes or you might not, but just sort of centering, slowing down 
and, and grounding. And then really seeing if you can check in with what is your body telling you right now in this moment? Are you having, so then I'll prompt them a little bit to help them um, kind of narrow down what I'm asking them because they might be like, what is my body telling me? I don't know what my body's telling me. So I'll say, do you, do you feel any sensations that lead you to believe you might be at all hungry right now, at all feeling any level of fullness right now, or are you feeling more just neutral where you're not feeling any hunger or any fullness? And most of the time, if I'm working with someone who um, is not maybe experiencing a severe or acute, kind of acutely ill with an eating disorder, they're able to say what the answer is. And I'm like, that's so interesting. How did you know? And they're like, I don't know. I just knew. And so even just the pause and the looking in and then going with your first kind of gut instinctual response is that is the wisdom of the body. I could never look at someone and say, I bet you're feeling full right now. I don't know what they ate before they came into the office, right? It's just only they can know how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and so then that, of course, can branch off into so many different things. I might say, well, let's look at, like, how do you make sense of that answer? And then they might tell me about what they've eaten throughout the day until they got there. And then we could perhaps talk about how that makes sense, that the way they were feeling, the way they described. and then also oh, I see why I might be feeling that way. So, um, so that's just a way for someone when they're getting curious then to step into um, practicing with tuning into their body is it's really very simple. We just need to slow down and we need to have the intention to check in. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like the first step is learning how to trust yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for some people that comes very quickly. Yeah. They, they tune in, they listen, and they say, oh, I got it. And for other people, that trust is going to come much later on down the road where they are going to have a more difficult time or a longer process in finding that they really can trust their body. Mm -hmm. So could you just briefly describe or go over what the 10 principles are and then share with the listeners um, so your top three or so favorites. Yeah, sure. I actually have them here because rarely do I really like <laughs> look at them in this way or certainly don't like pull them off the top of my head all the time. So I'm just going to go through and list them then and then we can kind of return back to them. So the 10 principles are reject the diet mentality, honor your hunger, make peace with food, challenge the food police, feel your fullness, Discover the satisfaction factor. Cope with your emotions without using food. Respect your body. Exercise. Feel the difference. That's one that goes together. So it's like a different way of feeling the difference, the benefits of exercise. Mm -hmm. And then honor your health with gentle nutrition. Yeah, so what, what would be your, the top ones that you'd like to discuss? Um, so when I think about that, I think the ones that just feel, mm, I don't know, resonate with me maybe the most. Again, the way that I really view intuitive eating is one, one kind of experience um, that's not broken down into 10 different, different facets. But when I look at all of them together, I think honor your hunger make peace with food and respect your body are the ones that I just feel are so key to um, that relationship that you have with yourself, which I really view as being, um, you know, it parallels the relationships you have with other people. It parallels the relationship that you, the way you relate, um, you know, in the world, the way that you, kind of allow your body to show up in the world. So this relationship with yourself is very much um, just another part of your relationship with food. I think that they, they go together, of course. So if you're healing one, you're healing the other. Mm -hmm. So looking at honor your hunger, 
Um, this is this is a good thing to kind of you know step into. We talked about getting curious. We talked about observing your patterns, and then we talked about beginning to sort of slow things down and check in and tune in and see what your body is communicating with you. And for the most part, people feel hungry at times. Um, so when someone feels hungry, they often have developed a little bit of an automatic response to that sign. So one person may feel fear when they feel hungry, and so they do whatever they can to avoid feelings of hunger. Um, another person may feel um, that hunger is an out of control feeling, and that's what they associate with hunger. They associate maybe binging with that. So honoring your hunger is really a process of exploring um, what it feels like to feel hunger in a way that feels positive um, and that it is more about nourishing your body and caring for yourself. And, and, and by honoring, that's satisfying that hunger, right? So honoring your hunger is letting go of that restriction, letting go of that limiting feeling the deprivation and understanding that just like anything else we care for, um, just like anything else that we want to work well or perform, um, we need to be giving our bodies what they need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then what was the other one? What, or did you? So then the next one I love is make peace with food. Yeah. Um, this looks, this looks different for everyone, I think, but um, we just are so often at war with food. I mean, I think a lot of people can relate to this belief that food is their enemy, that food is ruining their life or making their life more difficult, or wouldn't it be just great if I could just take a pill and never have to eat anything? I've heard that quite a few times. Um, and I just see kind of on the other side of that is that food is so much really for humans. Food is how we show love. Food is so pleasurable and enjoyable. Um, and it's really complex, our experience of eating, um, all the way from the moment we start to have a craving to the time we're done eating is there's so much going on and there's so much we can be present with and um, so many positive things and experiences that we can have with food. And it saddens me so much when people aren't able to connect with what food does for them or how food gives them pleasure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Especially when there's so much pain associated um, around food, which is generally never about food anyways. It's always about something else, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Yeah. People have, um, you know, so many negative associations. A lot of those are memories that show up around certain foods. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm in a, a biology class right now, um, getting my degree and it's the science of food, cooking and eating. And it's super interesting, super sciencey, like super sciencey talking about like covalent bonds and molecular structures and all of that fun stuff. But like even the language that the prof used, he said, some foods are good for you. Some foods are bad for you. And I'm like, it's not the language that I would use. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that again, just so it, it's just, that's how we think about food. You know, that's the way that our culture teaches people to think about food. Um, and it's a way of leading people to believe that they have control over their health, that they even have control over when they're going to die. You know, it's really strong how deeply these belief systems run and what they do for people mm -hmm. in terms of a sense of control. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't feel, you know, it's not my place to judge someone how they think about food or how they want to eat. Um, but I do think that that's a big sacrifice to kind of go through your life thinking that food has that much power over you or that, you know, someone, someone who's living with a lot of shame and guilt around food or deprivation 
um, I see that as a lot of unnecessary suffering. Yeah. So when it comes to our health, there's no question that eating nutritious food aids in the health of our body. We're not, we're not denying that just for our listeners. We're not saying that healthy food doesn't, doesn't contribute to a healthy body. Where's the line between fueling your body nutritiously and intuitive eating and listening to your body, you know, especially if someone say has just come back from the doctor, they've been told they're pre-diabetic and they need to change what they're eating. How, how does intuitive eating work for that person? Yeah, that is such a great question because I think intuitive eating is so far from where so many people are starting Mm -hmm. that they have a really difficult time accepting that that could be something that could be helpful for them. Um, When we look at the literature, we actually see huge health advantages to intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. Um, We see you know, considerably less weight cycling, which we know is detrimental and that impacts things like insulin resistance and um, blood pressure and things like that, um, cardiometabolic markers. Um, But there is a lot to be said for how shame impacts the body negatively, um, even physiologically. And that stress impacts the body. Mm -hmm. And when you think about someone who is, may have been experiencing already a lifetime of maybe attempted repeat dieting, maybe has an eating disorder or disordered eating, um, maybe does not though, um, you know, we can't ignore all of these other factors that do impact our health, our physical health and our mental health, mm-hmm. just for the sake of uh, nutrition, right? So it's what I'm saying is it's not black and white. And that's, that's actually really hard for people to see. People who have been very used to thinking about eating as good or bad, black or white, um, So true intuitive eating um, is, you know, the the not just a theory. It's been proven in many studies now. It really shows that that habituation, um, and so habituation is. I think it was actually mentioned on the last podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, But many people's fears of starting intuitive eating is that they would only eat, you know, certain foods, or that they would never want to eat a quote healthy food or a fruit or vegetable. Mm -hmm. And the fact is we find that that's just not true, that our bodies want and need a variety of foods to eat. Um, So also something that we haven't mentioned yet, though, is that the definition of intuitive eating is this dynamic interplay of instinct, emotion, and thought. So we certainly don't only eat with our instincts. And someone who, you know, this person that I might be picturing in my mind that you described, if you're saying, quote, they really need to change the way they eat. Mm-hmm. First of all, I, I wonder what that means. You know, I wonder if the doctor is assuming how this person is eating, or has the doctor actually gone through and taken the time to ask a person what they're eating, or are they just making assumptions based on their appearance. So that's one thing. Um, and so this, this interplay of instinct, emotion, and thought. So our instincts might um, feel a certain way at one time if we haven't been exposed to a lot of different foods, if we haven't um, you know, been eating a variety of different food groups, if we're just used to the same types of foods, or if those are the only foods that have been available to someone. Um, then there could be reasons, you know, why they may feel like they don't have a lot of choices or why that might feel difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's one piece is that intuitive eating isn't just eat what you crave. It's one part of it. 
Um, and those cravings are there for very good reasons. So for example, if you have someone who is, let's say, eating very little to no fiber, very little to no um, nutrient variety, not a lot of fresh food, um, they could be feeling, right, a lot of hunger and not getting satisfied and needing to eat more because their body is so wise because it is trying to seek out what they haven't been getting. Mm -hmm. So we need to just kind of really understand that there, there is so much underneath this um, concept that the body is really wise and the body is trying to help us and protect us and help us to survive. And our brain does a wonderful job of that. The emotional part is, um, of course, we do eat in response to different emotional kind of states or feelings. But then the part that I was getting at that really applies here is that also we use our logic and reasoning and our thoughts to decide how we want to eat. So in someone's situation who might be feeling like they really need to change the way they eat, I might help them and guide them towards what are the foods that you think would be helpful and supportive for your body right now and how can we add those foods in but it does not need to be centered around a goal of weight loss it does not need to be centered around calorie restriction and it certainly doesn't have to be black and white all or nothing thinking and you know i think this and i say this probably most episodes it's so important that you seek out qualified help because no one person is the same and you know there's so many different factors you can't give a cookie cutter approach so you know if this is you and you're listening it's so important to not just you know we're just giving generalized information we're not prescribing anything it's so important that you seek out um, qualified help from registered dietitians in your area i think that's first and foremost super important because following an influencer on social media of what they eat in a day is not helpful at all. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and like we've said even a couple times already, intuitive eating is so nuanced. It's very different. Um, it can feel really scary, unclear, confusing to someone if you don't really have some individualized care to help you kind of move through it or move towards it. And it is a process. It's not something that you would be able to necessarily grasp or feel um, confident with in just one visit, or even oftentimes people have very limited um, insurance coverage for working with a registered dietitian, and they're really not even getting the amount of time or the care that they need to help them improve their relationship with food or work on what might be their nutrition and eating goals. Um, you know, many people, the fact is they just don't have the resources or the um, financial access to getting the care that they need. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you do have coverage and you can or you can afford these services and you know I think it's important too when you're see searching out help to even look for you know dietitian with intuitive eating background or a non-diet approach or a weight inclusive approach like those kind of key words within that or else you're I'm not sure what you're going to get. In terms yeah. of there, there's actually a great directory. I mean, the intuitive eating website has all of the intuitive eating certified counselors in the world mm -hmm. um, that you can search for, for by location. Um, so I definitely would direct people there as a good starting point. Yeah. Now, another question, one question that we got from our listeners is, how can I help my active children eat intuitively while still making sure they're eating to meet their needs? And before this question came out, I didn't know that you were writing a book about how to raise intuitive eaters, which is so exciting. I can't wait until that book comes out. Thank um, you. How, how would you answer that question? Yeah, I think, you know, really common question. There are definitely parents who are like, my child's not eating enough and I feel like I have to force them to eat. Um, and I would say, 
you know, yes and no. So, so children don't quite have, you know, the capacity or the awareness to be thinking about feeding themselves the way that, you know, adults do. Um, so that is something that we do for them. I mean, that is part of our feeding job as a parent or a caregiver is to give kids um, food consistently and regularly and reliable. So um, a flexible feeding routine is definitely something that I recommend for all parents. That might be like planning to give your kids food every two to three hours, sort of depending on maybe how active they are or kind of what the schedule is. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing is really being aware to limit the distractions that are happening at mealtime kids, you know, they just want to be alive. They just want to play. They just, they have so much that, that gets them excited. And one little thing, you know, it could be a fly on the window of the door next to the kitchen table, but they are up and out of their seat and like chasing down the fly, right? So every little thing is going to get a child maybe easily distracted from eating their food. And, and for kids who have enough to eat and are not hungry, food is not necessarily that interesting to them. So it's sort of another kind of just really natural um, observation that a lot of parents have. So feeding them frequently. Candy. <laughs> What's that? Unless it's candy, then it's very interesting. It, it, it tend, candy does tend to be more interesting for kids, certainly. Um, and that, that is just so, that is them being a little tiny human. I mean, yes, it tastes good. It's fun. It looks pretty. It comes in little tiny packages. Like it has cartoon characters on the front of it. It tastes good. And that is just such, I love watching kids eat because they eat what tastes good. And it's just so pure and honest and real. And I just think it's amazing. So um, the, the last thing I would say to this parent is to be aware of what else is at the table. Okay. And what I mean by that is what are the emotions that are showing up at the table around mealtimes, particularly around if a child is feeling pressured to eat. Mm -hmm. So sometimes this type of question will come from someone who's concerned that their child isn't getting enough of a certain food group or a certain type of food. And I would say be curious and observing what, how are they beginning to form a relationship with this food? Is it that when these foods are presented to them, are they feeling pressured to eat? Um, because over and over and over again, the research will demonstrate that pressure has the opposite effect on kids. So pressure does not help them naturally decide to eat more of a food or like a food more just because they're pressured to eat it. So it's something we need to be really aware of um, as parents is that if our goal is to have our children eat enough food and get a wide variety of foods, um, we actually need to really be not asserting pressure around eating. But our job is to offer the food, make it consistent and reliable, um, be really flexible around food, um, and so pressure definitely is something to be kind of on our radar. Yeah. So what, what if, um, just kind of speaking from experience, watching my niece and nephew, my niece is quite young. She's only six months old, but watching my nephew, Ruben, who just turned four, uh, I was in the delivery room for those of you that don't know with my sister while he was born and the third person to hold him. So I'm just like, I just, I've loved watching him grow up. Sure. Um, what if he doesn't want to eat at dinner time consistently? Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, this is where kind of me or whoever kind of the professional or the dietitian in this situation is going to, there's not just an answer for that. And I will just say that right away, right? There's something happening that's either this child is not showing up to the table hungry something is interfering with his ability to hear or respond to his hunger, or this is not about hunger and food at all, and this is some maybe some kind of communication or trying to assert his autonomy around food at the dinner table. I would be wondering about what are the responses um, from the adults in the room when this is happening, um, what has he sort of, what has been the pattern of his expectation around coming to the table for this meal? 
Um, are you thinking of other things as I'm talking about questions with that? Because I'm wondering if I'm answering your question. Yeah, no, you're answering it perfectly. And I mean, I can't, I can't answer that. I'm not his mom. I don't, I'm not there all the time. Yeah. Um, we have pizza night every other Friday, so he's more than happy to have <laughs> pizza. Yeah. So there is, it's very, very common for a four-year-old to kind of resist what they're supposed to be doing at mealtime um, or to not do what he knows his parents want him to do. So, so this is some healthy development going on. It's when the line, the line is sort of when this behavior begins to either worsen or it's they're showing signs of not getting enough to eat or it's interfering with his sleep um, or if a child you know yeah is having slowed or interfere impaired growth those are all signs that there's um, you know something that really needs to be addressed this child is not getting enough to eat um, I often will start with the recommendation for the parents to just kind of ease up on any pressure around that meal. Um, but parents get to decide what, what is right for their family. So one family might say, you know what, if you don't want to come to the table, you can color in the living room and we're going to sit here and have our meal. And if you'd like to come and join us, you can. And that may feel like really the not not the right solution for another family that feels like what's right for them is to say, no, you need to come to the table. I'm not going to force you to eat or punish you for not eating, but this is the food we've prepared and you need to come to the table or else kind of there might be some kind of a consequence for that. Mm -hmm. And that's really where you're going to see a wide variety of, um, responses and ways that parents want to start addressing this. And I feel like very, very dedicated to making sure that parents know that they too can trust themselves mm -hmm. and they need to go with their own intuition and what feels right and helpful for them. And then reflecting back after maybe a period of time, what's working, what's not working. Is this getting worse? Is this getting better? Do we need to seek more support or a different kind of support? Um, and kind of being able to assess things and be non-judgmental the way this is all kind of, you see how parallel all of this is, is trust yourself, stay flexible, be non-judgmental, um, and make sure that we're not falling into these traps that diet culture wants us to believe, which is if my child doesn't eat broccoli, they are not going to be healthy. Mm -hmm. right? Some some people feel that way. Mm -hmm. That's very yeah. black and white. Yeah, that's so true. And I'm, I mean, with COVID going on right now, I'm just like, I cringe at all of the, you know, supplements trying to be pushed out there or cleanses and detoxes or all of these different things as this kind of like safeguard against illness. And, and it's not. Mm -hmm. It's not like they can, those things can be beneficial, but it doesn't mean that if you do A, you will get B. If you eat broccoli, you will not die, right? <laughs> like Yeah, yeah. We just, we don't have nearly the kind of data and science supporting supplements in that way. Um, there's a few nutrition supplements that have been really readily studied and we have really good, um, you know, evidence that if you do something, you will probably have this outcome, but that's really just a minority of the supplements out there, right? Most of them, if you like look them up actually in like the complementary medicine database, I think it's called, mm -hmm. there's just the, the jury's still out. Um, it really depends on where are the ingredients sourced? What is the quality of the ingredients? What's the genetic makeup of the person to begin with? You know, it, yeah. we just, we're so in the infancy of understanding nutrition still. We know a lot, I guess, some, <laughs> but certainly not nearly as much as diet culture would make you think we know. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, some of these supplements off the top of my head, you know, like folic acid for when you're pregnant has mm -hmm. been, you know, widely studied. Yes. It, yes. You know, they're very kind of niche things like that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then another question was, how can I help my teenage daughter to be an intuitive eater when there is so much pressure for her to follow diets that other girls her age are following? Yes. Yes. There is a lot of pressure. There's so much social comparison. Um, it is a really, really hard time to be a teenager. Um, I guess it probably kind of always is, but I work primarily with adolescent clients in my practice. Um, so I hear a lot, you know, and it, it really breaks my heart. So as a parent asking this question, you know, I think there are a few um, very just kind of logical things that can be done as far as the the home environment. So, um, so modeling is huge in, in the development of the beliefs of our children. So what parents or primary caregivers are actually doing as they raise their children, not just what they're say, like what they're trying to teach their kids to do, but what the parents are actually doing is one of the biggest factors that leads into um, their child's likelihood of being a dieter or having a disordered relationship with food and kind of these other related factors like um, kind of body dissatisfaction um, and likelihood of, you know, maybe taking like diet pills or substances to try to manipulate their body weight. So what we do as parents is probably kind of the, the greatest way we can add maybe a level of protection against this culture that we live in. We certainly can't fully protect our kids from what's out there. We need to help them build resilience. Um, and I think when I think about resilience in adolescent girls, um, I think about helping them understand that the most important things about them are not how they look. Yeah. Um, so in order to do that, um, I think we need to talk to our kids a lot. I think we need to have a lot of open conversations. I think we need to show up for them when they're suffering. I think we need to be involved in their lives. Um, we need to help them support and grow their interests and their skills. And in all of these ways that we show up for them, we are helping our children know that they are more than what they look like. Mm -hmm. And you could feed your child any diet pattern in the world. You know, you could eat all fish and Mediterranean food. But if there's, you know, a scale on the bathroom floor that she knows you get on every morning and um, you're not having those conversations about what's happening at school and how are you doing and how can I help you, we're not modeling the things that we need to be modeling to help our, our kids have resilience. That is such a good point. Like the minute you said that, I was like, that's exactly the perfect answer for this question. It's is what we're doing in the house as well. Cause like you said, we can't safeguard against it 100% when um, our children go out into the world, but when they come back into the home, we can create that safe place for them to, to be who they need to be. Yeah. And, and honestly, so adolescence is the most common time for an onset of an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. This, the seeds are planted when they're four, when they're five, you know? So um, it's being aware before kind of it's too late. So for any parents who are listening who have young children or people who plan on having kids, you know, you don't want to wait until you're noticing a problem to start thinking that talking about body respect and um, body diversity and, um you know, just natural intuitive eating, which I don't really use that language with kids, intuitive eating, but just modeling that again, like I said. So those things are things that we need to be doing from the beginning. Um, young kids, kids as young as four are able to make the connection between, you know, when mom or dad says, oh, I just need to eat healthy. They know that that means I'm, I need to be thinner. So that's how much messaging they're getting that they already know those connections. 
So even if we think we're sort of like not talking about our dieting or we would never say it in front of the kids, their little beautiful sponge brains will pick up everything. Mm-hmm. So it's so important. And this is something we talk a lot about in the book um, is to understand, you know, nobody has to be a perfect parent, but kind of coming to a place of peace with your own relationship with food and body is pretty darn important when it comes to what you hope your kids will have. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, you know, very uh, sobering to think about, right? Like, especially if if you have a teenager and you, you know, maybe haven't done that. And again, we're not saying anything to, to shame anyone or make anyone feel guilty. It's just trying to bring awareness as to why uh, attitudes and behaviors are coming up. So I could continue to talk to you for hours and hours. It's been so wonderful having you on the podcast. What would you like to leave our listeners with if you could give a, a piece of advice to leave our listeners with? I would say that, um, you know, intuitive eating is you know, it's just so much more than about what you put in your body or when you put it in your body. It's an entire new belief system of how you care about yourself, um, how you allow yourself to have pleasure, how you tune into yourself. And like we mentioned at the beginning, how you're rebuilding your own relationship with yourself. Um, So I would tell people to be kind to themselves, be patient, be forgiving. It's not a straight line from start to finish. And that every time you feel like maybe you're sliding backwards or moving in the wrong direction, that those are learning opportunities. And and that is how we learn. So we need to make those, uh, quote, mistakes or have those experiences that don't feel so good in order to learn and move forward and um, find out what does feel better. Well, thank you so much. Where can everyone find you? You can find me on Instagram at Intuitive Eating RD. Or if you're a professional listening, you can head to edrdpro.com. That stands for Eating Disorder Registered Dietitians and Professionals. Um, and check out our learning platform for dietitians and students. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Sumner, for coming on the show. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care and stay safe out there. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed our discussion and gained better insight into how you can be the healthiest version of yourself that you can be. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel on iTunes. And please leave me a review so we can get this message of better health out there. Have a great day and remember, you are powerful over your health.